Hello, everybody. In this week's episode of Employment Law Matters, I'm reading you a chapter from my latest book called Changing Terms and Conditions, and I've picked the chapter on imposing changes. Just before I start, a quick shout out to Steph T O H, who's left this review on the podcast store. You won't find a better podcast for employment law. Informative as well as easy to understand and follow. Daniel provides a great overview of each subject with really important details and information. I've been on some courses of Daniel's and would highly recommend those too. And if you send your name and address, Steph TOA, to podcast at danielbarnett.co.uk, we'll send you a copy of one of my books, maybe even this one, as a thank you for leaving that generous review. Welcome to Employment Law Matters with Barrister Daniel Barnett. How to impose changes to terms and conditions. This is chapter eight from my latest book, which you can get when you buy my HR Policies 2020 from policies2020.com. It can be difficult and sometimes impossible to get an employee's agreement to detrimental contractual changes. Other than abandoning the proposed changes, which business needs will rarely allow, the employer is left with two options. Take a punt and impose the new terms unilaterally, or terminate the old contract and offer re-employment on the new terms. Neither option is without risk. If you impose new terms without agreement, that's a breach of contract. What the employee does next is key. If the employee clearly objects, you know where you stand. That might mean facing litigation. Alternatively, the employee might do nothing and simply carry on working without raising clear objections. That conduct could indicate acceptance of the new terms. Difficulties arise when there is a lack of clarity. At what point will the employee be considered to have impliedly agreed to the change just by saying, and to some extent doing, nothing? The length of the delay in speaking up, together with how soon the effects of the change are felt, are those changes immediate, will be relevant. The Employment Appeal Tribunal in Cartwright against Tetrad found that employees who waited six months before objecting to a 5% pay cut had impliedly accepted that cut. They'd been paid numerous times at the lower rate and failed to raise any objection. The EAT said that this was evidence that they had accepted the pay cut. And the longer an employee delays before raising an objection, the more likely it is that a tribunal will find that their actions imply acceptance of the new terms. Unfortunately, things aren't always that simple, as the case of Abrahal against Nottingham City Council shows. Employees at Nottingham City Council usually received an annual incremental pay rise. In 2011, the council imposed a two-year pay freeze. This meant that employees would not receive their contractual incremental increases during that two-year period. The recognised unions objected and even balloted for industrial action, but they didn't get the necessary support for a strike. The unions made their objections clear in meetings with the council, but they didn't raise a formal grievance. 
Two years went by before the council tried to extend the pay freeze, and at that point in 2013, employees brought claims for unlawful deductions from wages based on their contractual right to a pay rise. Had they accepted the 2011 pay freeze and waived their right to claim unlawful deductions from wages by continuing to work? No, said the Court of Appeal. No, they hadn't. The pay freeze had not been presented to employees as something they had to actively accept or reject. And although they'd worked for two years without protest, the trade union had protested on their behalf both at the time of the pay freeze and for several months afterwards. It was also relevant that the employees had continued to work when the contractual change was of no benefit to them whatsoever. The Court of Appeal said that a decision not to bring a legal claim and not to take industrial action was different from a decision to accept new terms. The employees' actions did not show unequivocal acceptance that's the phrase, unequivocal acceptance of the change. They were therefore entitled to backdated pay equivalent to what they would have earned if their pay had not been frozen. Now, this case seems surprising given there have been other cases in which employees have worked in accordance with new terms for less time and been found to have accepted them. And it goes to show that every case will be decided on its own particular facts and that employers shouldn't mistake inaction for acceptance, especially if the employee has raised an initial objection. Standing and suing and constructive dismissal. Instead of quietly continuing to work, an employee might decide to stand and sue if an employer changes their contract. This means they carry on working, but they make it clear they object to the contractual change. They might do this verbally, or in writing, or even through a trade union representative. At the same time, the employee would bring tribunal proceedings for unlawful deductions from wages, if the issue relates to pay, or, to bre or for breach of contract in the civil courts. Remember, an employee is not allowed to bring a breach of contract claim in the employment tribunal until after their employment has ended. The employee could also bring a wrongful dismissal claim, a breach of contract claim relating to notice pay, if they resign without notice. And if the contractual change is serious enough so as to amount to a repudiatory breach of contract, it could also form the basis of a constructive dismissal claim. Remember that employees can bring constructive dismissal claims based on a breach of the implied term of trust and confidence. A case called Mostyn against S&P Casuals explored the link between an employer imposing new contractual terms and constructive dismissal. Mr Mostyn was employed as a sales executive. His sales figures had been suffering, but the company didn't carry out a formal capability process. Instead, it asked Mr Mostyn to take a £20,000 pay cut. He refused, but the company said it would cut his pay anyway. Mr Mostyn resigned and claimed constructive dismissal. He lost, at least initially. The Employment Tribunal found that while the employer had behaved in a way that could damage trust and confidence, it had reasonable and proper cause for cutting his pay. The Tribunal took into consideration 
Mr. Mostyn's poor sales figures and his lack of action to address that poor performance. Mr. Mostyn appealed to the EAT, which found in his favour he'd been constructively dismissed. In cutting Mr. Mostyn's pay, the employer had also breached an express term of his contract, the term relating to pay, and so the question of reasonableness was therefore irrelevant. The EAT said there can never be reasonable and proper cause for breaching the implied term of mutual trust and confidence where the breach consists of a unilateral pay cut. Although it ended up being about changing terms and conditions, that wasn't the primary issue in the case. The employer's problem with Mr Mostyn was his performance. Its downfall was in fudging the issue. The company should have followed its capability procedure to address Mr Mostyn's performance instead of imposing a pay cut which breached his contractual rights. A capability process would have resolved the issue one way or the other. Either his performance would have improved or he would have been potentially fairly dismissed. The company would have been much better equipped to defend any legal claims. Do employees have to resign in response to a serious breach? Even if the imposition of new terms is a serious breach of contract, entitling the employee to resign and claim constructive dismissal, they don't have to take that drastic step. A claim for unlawful deductions will not be affected if the employee chooses to carry on working. The claim can still be brought based on the old contract terms. The risk for the employer is that the tribunal upholds the unlawful deductions claim because there's been no agreement to the new terms. In so doing, the original terms of employment are also upheld. The employer ends up at square one and has to revert back to the original contract terms unless it wants to find itself back in the tribunal with another unlawful deductions claim. An employer in that situation will have to think afresh about how to bring about the necessary change. Deemed dismissals. Sometimes the contractual change is so substantial that the contract is effectively terminated. In a case called Hogg against Dover College, the employee was unilaterally demoted from head of department, suffering significant loss of status. His pay was cut by 50% and his old job was given to someone else. The Employment Appeal Tribunal said the variation was so great that the employee had essentially been dismissed from one contract and re-engaged in another. That meant he could bring an unfair dismissal claim arising from the dismissal from the first contract despite remaining in employment. This is often referred to as a deemed dismissal. The employee is deemed to have been dismissed from the original contract and it's a situation employers should avoid. Can an employee cherry-pick? Sometimes a fresh set of terms in a reorganisation involves some pros and some cons for employees. If the changes are part of a fresh package, employees cannot say that they'll accept some of the new terms, but not the others. In North Lanarkshire against Cowan, the employer introduced a new working pattern that included fewer working hours and better hourly rates, but an unpaid lunch break. Lunch had previously been paid. The employees objected and said they were working under protest. 
They then tried to accept the good bits of the deal, the fewer hours and the better pay, while rejecting the unpaid lunch break. The Employment Appeal Tribunal said the lunch breaks were an integral part of the package, and if the employees hadn't accepted the lunch breaks, then they hadn't accepted the deal, and if they hadn't accepted the deal, they had no contractual right to the higher rates of pay and the fewer hours. What happens when the employee refuses the change? There's always the chance that the employee will simply refuse to work to the newly imposed terms. That will only happen if the employee has some sort of control, in other words, where the change relates to an aspect of their job that they can refuse to do, such as a change of hours or a change of duties. This can be difficult to manage, especially if the employee refuses to resign. An obstructive employee can radiate bad feeling around the rest of the workforce and create unrest. An employer might need then to dismiss that employee, but that opens up the risk of the employee claiming unfair dismissal. That kind of dismissal won't always be unfair. If an employee initially agrees to work to new terms under protest, but then doesn't, they might be fairly dismissed for conduct reasons, a failure to follow a reasonable management instruction. It would be more difficult to dismiss if the employee had refused new terms from the outset. However, in Rochford against WNS Global Services, the Court of Appeal found that an employee was fairly dismissed for gross misconduct after refusing to carry out a partial role on return from disability sick leave. The employee had been off work for a year. On his return, the employer only allowed him to do some of his previous duties and refused to tell him when he could return to his full role. The employee refused to carry out the partial role but continued to be paid. The employer dismissed him for gross misconduct and the Court of Appeal upheld the dismissal. The request to carry out only a partial role was not discriminatory and was within the employee's capabilities. However unreasonable the employer was in its approach, the employee's obligations did not completely fall away. His dismissal was fair. That decision should be treated with some caution. Anyone returning from disability leave should be treated sensitively and there should be an honest and open discussion about duties. Reasonable adjustments should ideally be agreed with the employee in conjunction with occupational health advice if necessary. In my view, that particular employer dodged a bullet. The difficulty with imposing new terms is the lack of certainty. You don't really know what's going to happen. The risk of litigation is high, whether in respect of a claim for unlawful deduction from wages breach of contract, or constructive or unfair dismissal. Once you're in litigation territory, you'll have lost the trust of your employees and not only the ones who are directly affected, but others who they talk to in the staff room or on Facebook. It really is best avoided. Dismissal and re-engagement, which I cover in the next chapter, is more painful in the short term, but better in the long term. And that was chapter 8 of Changing Terms and Conditions, my latest book, which is avail available for free to all members of www.hrinnercircle.co.uk 
or is part of the package that you get when you buy my new 2020 policies at www.policies2020.com. Thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do subscribe at www.danielbarnett.co.uk slash podcast. Please also think about leaving a review on the iTunes store. You can do that either on the Apple podcast player or using your favorite podcast app. And every single episode, which comes out every single Tuesday, I pick a review, read it out and send that person a copy of one of my books as a thank you for their time. And thank you also to you for listening to this episode where I was reading chapter eight from Changing Terms and Conditions. I'm Daniel Barnett from Outer Temple Chambers. Bye-bye. Any information on this podcast is for general guidance only. Always seek legal advice. Please see full terms at www.danielbarnett.co.uk forward slash podcast terms.